From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Coming up, two red signal violations in eight days on Metro Rail, one described as a near-miss collision. Safe track? Doesn't sound like it. But first, Safe Track surge number four continues. Let's hop aboard a shuttle bus with a Democratic member of Congress and a reporter from Politico as we confront the horror, the horror of a Route 1 bus bridge. Episode 8, Metropocalypse Now. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. Customers should expect extended delays in crowded conditions on trains and platforms. We call this Metropocalypse Now. Yeah, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I love the smell of burning arcing insulators in the morning. It's another uncomfortable, slow, sticky commute unfolding on the yellow and blue lines, a bottleneck of trains, buses, shuttles, and Lauren Gardner, transportation reporter for Politico. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. And uh, we also have another special, uh, I guess we could say, guest commuter with us. Who are you, sir? Uh, Don Beyer, from a member of Congress from Alexandria. You're also a Metro Rail rider, I'm told, from your staff. I've been a Metro Rail rider for a, a long time and, and very strong supporter. You know, the family business, when they first opened in Falls Church in 82, we started taking customers back and forth every day, morning and afternoon, because it was just a great way to get around. All right, so here we are, and we see a large line assembling in front of all these shuttles out here. I think we're going to get online. We're going to Pentagon City. We're going to try to take in how all this is unraveling and also pepper you with a lot of questions. But, you know, I want to just put Lauren on the spot. You're not just a journalist. You're not just a Metro Rail rider. You're a constituent. So you can complain slash question your congressman right here. I live right here across the street from the Braddock Road Metro, so I will be... Reliving my everyday commute with you both. How's it been going? It's generally been okay, but I commute a little bit later in the morning compared to right now, so I haven't braved a line this long yet. So right now we're in bumper-to-bumper traffic on Route 1. While the Metro Way, the express bus lanes over there are empty. Those empty lanes over there. And people have been complaining all week about... Why can't these metro shuttles, taking all these folks up to Pentagon City, use those lanes? And I got an answer from Alexandria. It has to do with signal timing, uh, especially at the intersection of Route 1 and Glebe Road. Because the, the shuttle capacity is pretty extensive, metro is running up to 40 shuttles to get people back and forth. Uh, the, the light, the signal timing there couldn't accommodate something like that. So that's why we're stuck here. Uh, waiting behind a sea of cars instead of scooting right up the metro way. I'd heard of this. This is the first time I've experienced it. I I think I'm going to call the mayor once we get off the bus. Because this is a good time to take one of our our traffic officers and put that person at the intersection of Route 1 and Glebe Road and just override the signal. I believe in Wamada's safe track plan, they specifically said we're going to utilize all options available to us, including bus rapid transit, infrastructure they already have in place. So as someone who's been riding this for the last week and a half, I've been curious as, I mean, I I saw your tweets explaining as to why, but uh, I don't know, they look pretty empty to me right now. Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense, and we need to overcome the short-term bureaucratic resistance and just do the right thing. Because Metro, according to D.C. Councilmember Jack Evans, who's the Metro Board, needs money from the federal government, asking Congress to give 
$300 million a year to pay Metro's day-to-day expenses. Do you support that? I support Congress having a role. We Uh, clearly have to close the $300 million gap. Now, we'll see some of it. Perhaps Paul Wiedefeld, the new general manager, will be able to do with cost savings, but certainly not the whole $300 million. But I think it's the second most expensive system in terms of fares in the country, too. So that's another big incentive to get that contribution. But I think the approach that those of us on the Hill have taken is that we need all four jurisdictions, Virginia, D.C., Maryland, and the federal government, to play you know, equal is maybe not the right word, but shared role in finding the revenues. What kind of discussions have you had with your colleagues about funneling more money towards the metro system? Since there was a big oversight committee hearing a couple months ago that there there were some words exchanged between some members and some of the witnesses like uh, Councilman Evans. Has has there been much discussion since? There has. So the the big dilemma is that Congress, right now, at least the House, where I serve, is controlled overwhelmingly by Republicans who mostly don't represent Mm -hmm. places that have any transit. You know, it's rural America, so they're not real transit familiar or transit friendly. Uh, and, and we have a credibility problem because of the, the safety issues, the death of Carol Glover and others. So I think first we're going to have to show that the new general management, safe track and stuff really have an impact. Metro has to rebuild its credibility on the Hill, especially with the Republican members. And the other deal is that the local governments, one way or other, are going to have to come to the table with their own revenue plans if Congress is going to step up. I don't think any of us see any way Congress is just going to throw $300 million a year or more. It should be noted that Congress doesn't supply money for operating expenses for any public transit system in the country. The difference here, though, is many of your constituents work for the federal government and they need the system to get to work. Is that a, a difference for you? It is, and you know, we, we like to say that Metro is America's transit system and that uh, more than half of the federal government workers here take Metro to work. So this is a national defense issue. It's the government's got a work issue. Uh, I'm a Democrat, and we believe that in government has an impact on our lives, but it's got to be good government. They've got to be able to get to work. All right, we have an update for you on that. After the shuttle bus ride, Congressman Beyer did call the city of Alexandria, and this is what the city came back with. Number one, Alexandria is worried that using the existing lanes will create a bottleneck at the end of the bus bridge route. And they also say they're using Potomac Avenue for some buses, but the fact that they have to get to the airport will cause buses to have to double back, which lands them in traffic on Route 1 anyway. Not sure if commuters are going to buy that explanation. When we return on Metropocalypse Now, I impersonate Marlon Brando, or at least I try to. Congressman Beyer impersonates Robert Duvall. We'll also take a closer look at two serious safety incidents on Metro Rail, a pair of red signal overruns within eight days. Next. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. As we crawl along here on a, on a, on a highway utterly packed shoulder to shoulder with cars, uh, we're going about three miles an hour. Uh, and Congressman Byer, you made a, a joke that was somewhat funny on, on the shuttle. We could call this Metropocalypse Now. Yeah, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. 
I love the smell of burning arcing insulators in the morning. Lauren, would you like to contribute to this? <laughs> no, I'm just going to stay over here. <laughs> you, did not, you did not polish your Marlon Brando impersonation. You didn't give me a heads up. Congressman. And, and, uh, but, but Robert Duvall, you know, the famous colonel in there, was, was raised in Alexandria, so it's authentic. <laughs> so. Congressman Byer, you're just an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect the metro fare. <laughs> I'm with Lauren. <laughs> so let's talk about Metro in context. Uh, beating up on Metro is a pastime now in the Washington area, but while it has its own unique issues and certainly not going to make any excuses for Metro's problems, other transit systems across the country have state of good repair backlogs in the billions and be looking for money from the federal government, from their own constituents through taxes. There's really no way around this issue. Billions of dollars are needed in San Francisco, in New York City, in Boston, in Chicago. Absolutely. American Society of Engineers says we have a $3 trillion, with a T, dollar backlog in infrastructure. You know, the, the 17,000 bridges, all the thousands of miles of highway. You, you drive up and down I-81 in Virginia and you see a, a road that's falling apart and jam-packed. You know, we really need, and yeah, I think both parties at least are on record saying we need a major commitment to new infrastructure, and transit will be a big part of that. So since transit and highways are often dealt with together on the federal level, what is your answer to the Highway Trust Fund shortfall? Well, uh, <laughs> anything that works. You know, If it were just I, and it isn't, um, I would support increments to the gas tax. Yeah, because we've already seen gas go as high as $4 and back down under $2, and we've all adapted really well. And if you did a nickel a year for three or four years, we'd probably not even notice. Um, but we also have to have something that my Republican friends will vote for. Uh, Paul Ryan seems enamored of the, the so-called VMT, the Vehicle Miles Traveled Tax. And they're doing experiments with it, Oregon, California, where you take a photograph of your odometer and mail it in, and they tell you, how much you owe or how much you get back. You said Speaker Ryan's interested in that? Uh, yeah, he, he, one of the meetings he had with us, he said that, you know, because a lot of people are concerned that with the growth of hybrids and mm -hmm. and things like that, there are a lot of people who are not going to pay very much gas tax. That's right. uh, and yet they're going to be using the highways. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the other, I think, even more responsible idea, which is instead of doing a tax at the pump to move it upstream to the barrel um, so that sort of everybody is paying overall, so let's narrow the focus again back to Metro. Your constituents on the blue line want, as do others, another tunnel at Roslyn to relieve the yeah, bottleneck on the blue, orange, and silver line. And the, and the so-called orange crush. So where's that billion, multi-billion dollar amount going to come from for that tunnel? So we talked earlier about trying to close the operating income gap. And the next big step is, is we're going to need a national infrastructure plan to come up with enough money for the so-called momentum plan, which is Metro's vision for the future. And, and the short term, the immediate stuff is you've got to buy the rest of the new cars, the 7,000 series cars. Um, we need to get that extra tunnel. I keep hearing from our constituents in Arlington that, that they can go sometimes two and three trains will pass to a given station at Courthouse or, or Clarendon because so, the trains are packed. That happens so at Roslyn, taking the blue line down to Alexandria. Wow. Sorry to interrupt. So if, you, if we started building that tunnel today, it's many years off till completion. We're not even in the planning process at this juncture. Yeah, and every year we wait, it's another year off into the future. Yeah, yeah. And that's true with all of our infrastructure things. Yeah, but you're right, it's right now, the extra tunnel, 
in, in Alexandria and farther south, you know, we dream about the day when the yellow line goes all the way down to Port Belvoir, well, when the blue line continues down towards Fredericksburg. Into Prince William, at least. That sounds like a big dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, do any of your colleagues in Congress, members of Congress, do you know of any who take Metro to work? There's been a little coverage in other outlets about senators and other members who get on the train every day. I'm pretty sure Earl Blumenauer, I think, either rides his bike or takes Metro every day. <laughs> That's an easy uh, one. Yeah, uh, Rick Larson from Washington State. That's right, I, I talked to that. I think does it every day. And, and I'll do it yeah, once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy. I, I usually... Because you can't park at King Street or, or Braddock. Mm-hmm. Um, either I have my wife drop me off or go up and park at, at National. And then oh. that's really easy. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question Lauren just posed because if folks aren't on the system seeing what the challenges are for people every day, how can they possibly relate to people and know what fixes are necessary? Yeah, that's very true. I, I, years ago, I was on the Commonwealth Transportation Board in Virginia found the best way to convince the fellow colleagues to support a plan was go drive the route. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you ride Metro, you have a very different perspective of that. All right, we're off the shuttle. 50 minutes at least to go from Braddock Road to Pentagon City. How about we head down into the subway and we'll see how you know uncomfortable that might be. So now after, of course, you get off the shuttle, you have to navigate the subway and the trains are ending here. They're terminating here. So they should be empty trains that'll shoot us right back north into D.C. That's the hope. And uh, we've got a National Resources Committee hearing in 50 minutes. So let's Let's think this was a lot faster than the bus was. 5-0 or 15? 5-0. You can always tell them, sorry I'm late, I was podcasting. (laughs) Yes, I'm not sure that gives me much credit. Down we go. Well, no line to get into the system. That's a positive. I do hear trains rumbling and bumbling. Everyone who's getting off the train has that look of confusion. Where do I go? So let's just recalibrate here. It is 9, 9.15, 9.18 in the morning. So, so it. we're an hour and a half in because we met at 7.45. Now. Next station stop will be the Pentagon. Next station will be the Pentagon. Do you have any questions for the congressman? No questions. It's just a matter of the safety that's been happening recently. Um, That's my only concern. I mean, I'm hoping Safe Track solves all the mechanical issues, but as far as the personal safety is with people, assaults and robberies, it's been on the uptick the past few months. Have you seen any of that yourself or just, I know there have been a couple of murders around stations recently. I've only seen the aftermath, so as far as the crowds dispersing, I haven't, thank God, I haven't been like in it per se, but I get off at Gallery Place and a few months ago there were some issues at Gallery Place, so that's just, that's my main issue. Most of the time riders say their number one concern is reliability and getting to work on time you said safety are you afraid to be on these trains at any at any juncture i'm not afraid but i don't feel i don't feel unsafe but i don't feel safe you know i don't feel like you can really let your guard down you still have to be vigilant do we need more 
or more visible Metro Transit police around? I would think so. I would like to see one on every train if possible. Um, I mean, Metro has a fairly small police force. It's not realistic to expect there even be one per train because, you know, then they'd, of course, have to go up and down the train, you know, their coverage. But uh, crime is up a little bit. But when it's, you know, hits Twitter immediately, you see videos of people being smacked around, beaten up or worse. It does play into people's minds. One of my coworkers was robbed recently on a train. Yeah, that that's, I don't know what this short-term or even middle-term solution is. But you know, there's a difference, I think, between somebody that's shot in the vicinity of a train station, which we've seen a couple of times in recent month, um, which could be random. But when somebody's actually being a predator on people that ride the trains, that's a very different and much more important issue. So we made it to Lafont Plaza. One hour and 40 minutes from when we met at Braddock Road. Not optimal, but uh, it's short term. I think that's the way to assuage one's stress about this. It was a great learning experience. You know, riding the Metro by yourself anonymously is different than having two great reporters asking people questions. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on the Metropocalypse podcast, yeah, Congressman Byer. Thank, thank you for the invitation, but also thank you for helping me see things in, in a more immediate way. And Lauren Gardner of Politico, thanks for uh, podcasting with us. Now you can go, you know, ask him more pestering questions on the Hill. Absolutely. We're both heading there now. All right, that's a wrap. Next up on Metropocalypse, Epic Rail Fell. The entire Metro Rail system runs on signals that tell drivers in tunnels when it's safe to move forward and when they have to wait for traffic on the rails ahead. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen at least two incidents where drivers apparently ran stop signals and may have put their passengers at risk. We continue on Metro Apocalypse, and we are smack dab in the midst of safe track, and as summer turns to fall and fall turns to winter, we'll be approaching the end of this effort to make the rail system more reliable and supposedly safer, right? Replacing old infrastructure, replacing it with new. But there are other elements to rail safety that have been exposed in recent weeks. There were two red signal violations on Metro Rail in the span of eight days. The first one, July 5th, on the red line between Glenmont and Wheaton stations. Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld described this as a near-miss collision when a train operator went through a red signal and caused a potential head-on collision. Now, our sources who are familiar with Metro's preliminary findings have said the train stopped a few thousand feet apart, but that is still too close when you're dealing with uh, rail safety because one train is six, 700 feet long. Second incident was eight days later on the yellow line at Reagan National Airport. This appears to be less serious. Train operator approaching the platform, approaching the station, shot past the stop signal at the end of the platform by a short distance. 
And that incident remains under investigation. That train operator is suspended pending the investigation. The train operator from the first incident was fired. So let's talk to a couple of experts about what we're dealing with here. Red signal violations on a public transit system. First up, Robert Lobby. He is the chief safety officer at the Federal Railroad Administration. That's the agency that regulates Amtrak, freight rail lines. He's also on Metro's board of directors. Well, I think that uh, Washington Metro has taken the right action uh, in this case. They have gone ahead and and addressed the issue, but uh, any red signal violation is a very serious situation. So when the FRA, Federal Railroad Administration, is dealing with these issues, say at Amtrak or freight rail line, how serious do you view them? Because there's a variety of different circumstances that can lead to a red signal violation. It's always serious because getting past a red signal is what all the rules all the regulations, all the safety programs are designed to prevent. Uh, the worst case scenario is a uh, collision, a train-to-train collision, and that's what, what the whole safety system is designed to prevent. But I suppose it's impossible to completely eliminate the possibility of human error. Well, it's all about human error. Human beings are uh, single-point failures. Um, you can't make regulations that keep them awake, keep them from getting sick. You can you can do the best you can. You can have programs, but uh, human human beings are always the weak link in, in any system. Robert Lobby of the Federal Railroad Administration and a new member of Metro's Board of Directors recently appointed by Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox. Next, we talked to Gus Ubaldi. Gus is a longtime railroad engineering expert. He's a consultant, and he helped design the original Metro Rail system as an engineer many decades ago, and we talked to him about red signal violations. When people hear a train going through a red signal, they might think of a train hurtling down the tracks at 65 miles an hour, but that's usually not the case, right? Not in today's uh, signal systems, especially one like Metro, where the signal system will send a coded message to the train and will be slowing the train down. In theory, yes, that could happen in, let's say, railroad situations. There was one, I believe, 2011 down in North Carolina where a CSX freight train passed what we call a dark signal. The light had burned out. And when you see such a signal, you assume the worst. You're supposed to stop and then proceed at restricted speed. They missed even seeing it and rear-ended another CSX freight train. So we assume that the operator of the train or the rail traffic controllers made a mistake, but there's also mechanical and other factors that can lead to a red signal overrun, right? Well, that, that's right. If, if this were at the end of the line and he was slowing down to stop there, and this can become a training issue that he applies the brake, but he applies it too late and the train doesn't slow down enough. The rails are wet, maybe the train slides. You know, that's why you do an investigation. Well, Metro has what's called automatic train protection that will limit a speed to 15 miles an hour tops after it violates a red signal. But a signal violation is possible because Metro's trains are on manual operation. Correct me if I'm wrong. Metro is running manually because of the 2009 incident in Fort Totten. That's correct. So, again, I I try not to cast aspersions when when I give these interviews, but I have to say that was seven years ago. So we haven't solved this problem in seven years. And when a WMATA 
train operator runs a red signal, alarm goes off in the rail operations control center. There are safety measures in place to minimize these incidents, but they have been happening 50 since 2012. And it's pretty much the most serious safety violation you can have on a rail system, right? It's certainly certainly one of them. You know, the reason you have a signal system out there is to control the trains. Uh, where, you know, a thousand feet apart for trains may not sound like a close distance, but it's close just like a mile separation between aircraft becomes serious. The signal system will be designed to help you space out the trains for maximum capacity as well as maximum safety. And so if you start ignoring the signal system, you're defeating the whole purpose. When riders hear about these stories, it's disconcerting. How bad is this for rider confidence when we have, in the span of eight days, we have two red signal overruns? I would say that it is should give people pause to think. I would not say they should take get back in their cars. It, it does not give a lot of confidence given everything else that has gone on with Metro. So the next time we can expect to get a public explanation from Metro about these two incidents will be on July 28th. There's a Metro board meeting, and the board's safety committee is expecting to get a presentation from Metro's new chief safety officer, Patrick Lavin. But keep in mind, there have been eight red signal violations this year, 15 last year, and 50 since 2012 of varying degrees of severity. But the federal government and Metro take all of these incidents very seriously, and the federal government is expected to release a report in the coming weeks detailing the causes of stop signal violations on Metro. That's a wrap for Episode 8. Thanks to Congressman Don Beyer and Lauren Gardner from Politico. Please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It'll help other Metro riders find us. Metropocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, John Ogolnik, Jacob Fenston, Joe Warminski, and Chris Chester. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's Director of Content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the music from today's episode came from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. You heard tracks by Dunk, Jason Mullinax, Teru Teru, Chop Teeth, and Lower Dens. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro. Thanks for listening.